Yeah, so this morning we're reading from Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1 to 7. So Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know what they, that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares, and many words mark the speech of a fool. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfil it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfil your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfil it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And do not protest to the temple messenger. My vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. Let's uh, pray before we come to God's word. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, that you have spoken to us in your word, that you make yourself known to us. And uh, Lord, we pray that as we do that now, that uh, you would help us to come with open hearts, ready to receive what you have to say to us, uh, and that uh, you would teach us uh, by your word, but also by your spirit, pressing those truths to our heart, uh, so that we would truly fear you, the one true God uh, over all things. Lord, we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, as Steve said, uh, today is the uh, last in our series uh, in Ecclesiastes. We've been looking at Ecclesiastes over the summer, uh, and uh, as uh, he suggested, we may get back to that uh, at, in 12 months' time. So it's like, like back in the old days, remember, when you'd finish a TV series and you had to wait uh, for the next year, there'd be a cliffhanger, and then you'd have to wait a whole year for that to happen. Now you just, Netflix or whatever, just brings up the next series uh, and you spend the next 12 hours watching it. But not, uh, that's not what this is like. Uh, you're going to have to wait for uh, January next year to get to the end of Ecclesiastes. But in this last sermon today, uh, we're thinking about walking. Uh, walking and hiking is a popular pastime in Tasmania. Who here likes to go walking? Yeah, I know there's uh, some really uh, keen people. David, uh, I know, particularly likes walking and gets up at ridiculous hours of the day uh, to go walking. But when you go walking in Tasmania, you often have to be careful where you step. Uh, I remember once going to Narantapu. I think that's how you pronounce it, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I went there and we were going for a walk and we went into the ranger hut or whatever it is there and, uh, and we went in and the person said to us, oh, it's great that you can go, here are some walks that you can do. Just so you know, there's been a lot of snakes that have been seen recently, so just be careful where you tread. And I thought, great. <laughs> you know, I'm already anxious about snakes. I don't want to know that there's more snakes uh, out on the path. Uh, and, uh, and, of course, we came across one, so I almost trod on the top of it. Uh, but, but it's not just snakes, is it, that you have to be careful of when you're walking in Tassie. I mean, you can, you can uh, trip over something, you can uh, uh, slip on a, a hazard, you can tread on something uh, on unstable ground. You often need to be careful about where you step. You need to watch out uh, where you're stepping. Uh, and 
the teacher here in Ecclesiastes wants to give us the same advice, but not for hiking. He wants to give us that advice for how we engage with God. He says there in verse 1, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Guard your steps. Look out where you tread. Uh, watch how you're walking uh, when you approach God. He uses the language of the house of God, which is in the Old Testament, the house of God was the temple. Uh, it was the place that God had appointed as a special meeting place between him and his people. And that was a place where people would particularly go to engage with God. Uh, they could engage with God still in other ways. They could engage with God through meditating on his word and through praying to God. They could do that in other ways and in other places. But the focus was on that special physical temple that God had set aside as a special place. Since uh, the coming of Jesus, of course, the temple is no more because Jesus is the ultimate temple. That is, Jesus is the ultimate place where we meet with God. He's the ultimate meeting place between God and human beings. And indeed, the New Testament tells us that if we know God through Jesus, then the Father and the Son come and dwell in us. They come and make their home in us through the Spirit. Jesus is the meeting place between God and through Jesus, we meet God in our, in our own hearts through the Spirit. So in our time, then, we can engage with God wherever we are. We don't need to go to a church. We don't need to go to a temple. Uh, we can engage with God wherever we are, through prayer, through praise, through reading and meditating on God's Word. Uh, we can do that whether we're on our own. We can do that when we're together, like we are now. We can do that uh, in big groups like now or in small groups at other times through the week. And that opportunity uh, to engage with God uh, wherever we are is an incredible privilege. It's a rich gift. And yet, the teacher can say to us here, as wonderful as that is, we need to be careful. The reason for that is found in verse 2. The teacher urges us to remember who God is and who we are. He says, God is in heaven and you're on earth. We need to remember that the person that we're approaching is the God of heaven and earth, the God who's made everything, who sustains everything. He's almighty, he's holy, he's righteous, he's blameless, he's set apart from sinners, he's exalted above the highest heavens. That is the God that we're approaching and we're just sinful people. We're weak people. We're wayward people. And so God says to us, we need to watch our step. The teacher says in verse 7, we need to fear God. You might uh, think that the gospel means that you can come to God without needing to be careful. Uh, that you can just kind of barrel up to God and treat him how you want to treat him. But the teacher doesn't say that's what we should do. But doesn't the New Testament book of Hebrews, doesn't that say that we could approach the throne of grace with confidence that because of Jesus we can come to God confidently? Absolutely we can. You know, without Jesus, we can't approach God. With Jesus, through the, through the forgiveness of sins that he's brought about, yes, we can approach confidently, knowing that our sins against God have been paid for. Absolutely. But there's a difference between confidence and arrogance. Between confidence and brashness. Although we can approach God confidently, 
we still need to approach him with humility and respect and love and faithfulness. We don't approach God boastfully. We don't approach God brashly. We don't approach arrogantly. But one of the particular concerns that the teacher has here in this passage, he says we must be careful in particular that we don't approach God thoughtlessly. Thoughtless uh, worship seems to be the particular idea that he has in mind when he talks in verse 1 about the sacrifice of fools who don't know that they do wrong. That is, that these people are just going through the motions. They're not really thinking about what they're doing. Uh, what they're doing is then foolish. And it's scary, isn't it, how easy that is for us to do uh, to sing the words of the songs without any real thought about God. You know, we might be thinking about the tune. We might be thinking about what the people around us are doing. We might be thinking about what we've got to do when we get home. How easy it is for us to bow our heads in prayer, uh, whether that's here on Sunday or whether that's in our own times of personal worship, how easy it is to bow our heads in prayer, but then to have our minds race off to all the other things that need to be done. Race off to everything but God. How easy it is to listen to the sermon just as a kind of thing of academic interest or, or, or disinterest or as something to be evaluated rather than as a means for our hearts to be lifted up to the greatness and the glory and the wonder of God. And yet the teacher says, watch out. Tread carefully. Don't do it. When you come uh, to gather with God's people on Sunday, to, to uh, be encouraged by God's word, to hear from God, how do you come? Do you come carefully and attentively and thoughtfully? Or do you come distracted, thoughtlessly? Uh, when you approach God in prayer, in your own time, do you draw near uh, to him by listening to his words in the Bible? Do you come carefully? Do you come attentively and thoughtfully in prayer? Or do you come distracted? and thoughtless your phone's there within reach the notifications are going off every few minutes if you come distracted and thoughtless then you need to acknowledge that before god we need to confess that to god say lord this is not this is not careful we need to confess it and to seek his grace and his forgiveness so that we can grow in seeking God thoughtfully and carefully and humbly. Our temptation, of course, often is to deny that we're in that situation, to deny that we're thoughtless. Oh, no, I'm doing better than I really am. Or maybe to think, oh, it doesn't really matter. But we shouldn't deny it, we shouldn't despair either, but we can honestly acknowledge it to God and say, Lord, this is, this is not how you want it to be. You don't want us to come to you kind of half-distracted. You know, it's like when you have one of those conversations with someone and you can always see them looking past your ear at everything else that's going on. And you think, well, they're not really interested in what I'm saying, are they? God doesn't want us to come like that to him. But he wants us to acknowledge that and say, Lord, I'm sorry. 
Help me to come to you to watch my steps, to be careful. Don't deny it, confess it, and then ask God to help you to grow through the Spirit to do that, to, to be thoughtful, to be deliberate, to be humble. Maybe a helpful thing uh, to do uh, to help you focus when you come on Sunday, maybe a helpful thing to do is when you get here, instead of jumping out of the car the moment you get here, is just to stop, to turn off the car, with everyone in the car, the whole family in the car, to stop and to sit there and say, let's pray. Lord, we're distracted. Our minds are racing with all the things that we've been doing this week and all the things that we've got to do this week. Lord, you want us to come careful, guarding our steps. Lord, help us to do that. Being careful is not the same as being perfect. The great news is that with all our distractions, we can still come to God and confess that and ask for his help. So don't let those distractions stop you from coming, but let them drive you to seek the grace and the glory and the mercy uh, of God. Well, that's the first thing God wants to teach us from this passage. He says, watch your step. Be careful how you walk. But moving on, there's one particular way that the teacher wants us to focus on that takes up the most uh, takes up most of his attention in the rest of this passage and that is he says listen don't speak he wants us to focus on listening rather than speaking so in verse 2 he says don't be quick with your mouth do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God God is in heaven you are on earth so let your words be few a dream comes when there are many cares and many words mark the speech of a fool. Uh, that part about the dream might be a bit confusing at first. It's a little bit odd. What is he, why is he suddenly talking about dreams when he was talking about words? But the point he's trying to make is that some things are inevitable, and we recognize that. He, so last year, during the pandemic, uh, a lot of people reported experiencing that they had way more dreams. There was lots of articles Actually, if you search on the web, it's all these radio programs, you know, with people interviewing various people about why they're having more dreams. But it turns out it's, a, it's an actual thing. When people are more stressed, when there's more things on people's minds, they're more likely to, uh, whether it's have more dreams or to be more aware of them, uh, that's definitely a thing. When there's lots on your mind, the teacher says, there's lots of dreams. And in the same way, when there are lots of words you can be almost sure there's lots of foolishness to go along with it. In other words, the teacher wants us to keep our mouths shut <laughs> and not be a fool when words are many. Proverbs says, sin is not absent. Don't be a fool, but be quick to listen and slow to speak. He focuses, though, on one particular concern among many as well, and that is... He focuses on the particular issue of vows or promises. So in verse 4 and following, he says that many words can lead to careless promises that then lead to catastrophe. Uh, it may lead to catastrophe in the sense that we might commit to God and say, Lord, I, I promise that I'll do this, and then we don't do it. And then God may hold us to account to that, to what we to what we promised. Now, not necessarily sort of in an ultimate sense, but in the sense that he may frustrate our plans. 
We promise to do something, we don't do it, and then God holds us to account. He frustrates the things that we, that we have our hearts set on. Uh, that might seem a bit scary to us, that God might hold us accountable. But no one forces us to make promises and vows that we won't keep or don't intend to keep or can't keep. And the teacher says, the Bible says, if you can't commit, if you can't commit to do it, if you can't make it happen, then don't promise it. Don't vow it. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't be in a hurry to make those rash promises, the teacher says. And when there's lots of words, that's the temptation. But the broader point he's trying to make is just this. Don't be in a hurry to speak to God. Instead, be in a hurry to listen to God. Don't be in a hurry to speak to God. Be in a hurry to listen to God. In a social media world, we're encouraged to speak, aren't we? We're encouraged to express our opinions on everything. Uh, you get to the bottom of a news article and you can comment. So I post something on Facebook or on whatever it is uh, and you can comment. Uh, and people post long comments. Uh, we want our voices to be heard. That's a high value. And we carry often that approach to the world into our relationship with God. Uh, just like we think everyone else in the world must be dying to hear our opinion uh, on what's going on, we, we can also think that God must be dying to hear our wisdom on what, must, what is going on in the world as well and how we think that he can fix that. But instead of endlessly speaking to God, God encourages us to be silent, to listen. So often we come to God full of our own words and our own thoughts, but the teacher urges us to slow down for a bit and to listen to God. Listening to God is not some kind of mystical experience. It's not closeting yourself away and kind of pushing all thoughts out of your mind. The Bible tells us that God speaks to us through his word. So the way that we listen to God is through his spirit-empowered words. But when you come to God's word and when you sit down to read God's word or when you hear it read out, do you listen? Uh, or do you speak? That might seem like a strange question. Of course, at one level, when the Bible is read, we listen. But at another level, we often come with our own thoughts and ideas, don't we? Rather than hearing what God wants to say to us, we put into God's, into God's mouth the words that we want him to say. Eugene Peterson observed that reading the Bible is not the same as listening to God. The two can be miles apart. But God encourages us to put aside our ideas and to listen to him. Sometimes uh, we treat listening to God a bit like we're, we treat listening to others. That is, like the person who's looking past your ear, we're not really listening. We're just waiting our turn. Uh, we're waiting until the other person stops speaking so that we can share our view again. Uh, and while they're speaking, we're not really listening. We're just thinking about the next thing that we're going to say. And again, we can be like that with God. When you come to church on Sunday, do you listen or do you come to speak? 
Or maybe you come to tell everyone else how they should be living their life. Or maybe you come to tell everyone else what's wrong with the world and how it can be fixed. Or do you come to listen to what God has to say to you and to what God has to say to the church? And maybe it's something you've never thought of. Maybe it's the very opposite of what you think. When you go to a growth group during the week, uh, do you go to, to listen to God or do you go to speak? Do you go with all the things on your heart that you want to share? The things that you want to unburden from yourself? There's value in doing that, of course. But do you go to speak or do you go to listen? Do you gather with those people, those brothers and sisters in Christ, and sit together and together listen to what God is saying to you? The point is not that we never speak to God. God calls us to speak to him, to cry out to him, to, to, to unburden ourselves to him. But the teacher, God here in Ecclesiastes, urges us to listen first. So we need to guard our steps. And one of the key ways that we do that is by listening more than we speak. But in order to really come to grips with this passage, I think, we need to understand why it's here. Why is the teacher saying these things in this place? These instructions about being careful about approaching God and, and listening more than speaking, those things could be anywhere in the Bible. You know, he could have put them in chapter 13 or, you know, chapter 28, if there were that many chapters. Why are they here? Another way of asking that same question, I think, is... What do these commands have to do with everything that's come before in chapters 1 to 4? What, what do they have to do with chasing after the wind and the meaning of life? What does guarding our steps and listening to God have to do with all that? The answer, I think, lies in the fact that so much of those first chapters of Ecclesiastes are about making us realise that we're not in control. We're not in control, God is. The world is how it is, it's going on, how it's always gone on, and we can't change it. We can build, we can create, we can study, we can develop, we can travel, but pleasure and enjoyment, those things are in the hand of God. Today the world is like this, tomorrow it's like that, and we can't make one thing happen or the other. It's beyond our control. How does that relate to speaking versus listening? Well, the more that, uh, the more that we think we're in control, the more likely, I think, it is that we are to speak. The more likely, the more that we think that we're in control, the more likely it is that we will make vows and promises that we can't keep. the more likely we will be to be approaching God thoughtlessly, more concerned with the problems that we need to solve. But the more that we realize we're not in control and that understanding is beyond us, the more likely we are to come to God to listen and to receive. We so often think that we know the answer. We know what we want. We think that we know what's best. 
We want to shape our destiny. We want to build our career. We want to pursue our dreams. We want to marry that person. Uh, We want to have that many kids. We want to live in that kind of house. I want, I need, I think, I hope, I plan. And because of that, we come to God with all those things bubbling up out of us. We come to God full of words rather than coming to God ready to hear what God might be saying to us. We're chasing after the wind. We think we're in control. And so we don't come to God to listen. We come to speak. We come with our plans, our dreams, our aspirations instead of coming to listen. So here's the question, I think that we all need to ask ourselves, all of us, me as much as you. As you think ahead to this year, the year is now a month underway, as you think ahead to the rest of this year, how much listening to God have you been doing? How much listening to God have you been doing versus speaking to God about what you think needs to be done? As you... Think about the year after this one, 2022. As you think about that year and you plan for that year and you set your dreams for that year, how much listening are you doing to God versus how much speaking to God on what you think needs to be done and how it needs to be done? As you plan your life ahead of you, as you build your career and your family or your business, how much listening are you doing to God versus how much speaking? Have you listened at all? Or is it all you coming to God to speak and to tell him what you've decided and what he needs to do to make it work? And we need to think about that not just as individuals, but as families and as a church as well. As we think together about what uh, we will do this year together as a church, how much listening to God are we doing compared to speaking our own ideas, having our ideas shaped by what we see around us, what we think would be good for us? In any community group, there's bound to be a million ideas. If there's 500 people, there'll be a million ideas. Uh, of what we could do, and the church is no different. But as we work and plan and, and hope for the future, how much listening are we doing to God compared to speaking? God wants us to guard our steps, to fear him. He wants us to listen before we speak. And he wants us to come silently, expectantly, humbly rather than thinking that we have all the answers and all the solutions and all the power let's pray dear lord and heavenly father thank you that we can come to you in prayer lord amid all the distractions uh, and challenges of life uh, and come to you confidently lord we we want to come humbly and we want to acknowledge the fact that often we are distracted there's so much going on in our minds Uh, Lord, uh, the world around us doesn't always make it easy. Uh, Lord, uh, the kids have things that they they want us to do or need us to do. 
Lord, we have the internet all around us that's trying to grasp our attention. Uh, Lord, our minds are full of all the things that are going on. And, and Lord, we just want to lay that before you and, and confess that that's not what you want us to do. You want us uh, to guard our steps, to come uh, humbly and attentively rather than thoughtlessly uh, before you. And so, Lord, we pray that you forgive us for that. Lord, we, we trust that you do through the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus uh, for those of us who put our faith in him. But, Lord, we also want to pray that you would grow us to be people who are not distracted uh, by the world, by uh, other preoccupations. Lord, we, we pray that you would sharpen our focus on you, uh, that you would help us to be thoughtful Christians, Christians who are engaged with you and all that you're doing. Uh, Lord, particularly we pray that you would uh, help us to be silent uh, and to hear you speak in your word to us. Lord, for all those times we've come with many words, we pray you'd forgive us. Uh, and Lord, we ask that you would grow our ears uh, so that they're far bigger than our mouths, uh, so that we are people who listen uh, more than speak. And Lord, we pray too that you would help us to accept that we're not in control and so come to you, uh, not coming to fix the world, uh, but Lord, coming to receive your grace and your mercy in Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray all these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.